0: 1000 kilo and
1: Lambert Taco Welcome to It is written Canada Thank you for joining us here at BC Helicopters in beautiful Abbotsford, British Columbia, where you will hear some helicopters taking off and landing. Our special guests are Ruben Diaz and Misha Gelb, who shared an epic dream, a passion for flying helicopters, and they united their interests launching the epic global heli tour.
2: This trip around the world in a helicopter would carry them over 60,000 kilometers with 107 stops, traversing at least 45 countries on five different continents. Ruben and Misha, we are looking forward to hearing your intriguing adventure. Welcome to Eddie's Written Canada.
0: Thank you for having us. Thank you.
1: Ruben and Misha, what was the objective of this trip around the world
0: Um, well we we call it the epic world tour Um, epic stood for empowering people inspiring change something that Ruben came up with and uh, it kind of you know we were were thinking about what were all the reasons because there was a lot of them as to why we wanted to go on this trip and I think we wanted to be able to um, inspire people with the lifestyle that we live and and the passion that we have for flying helicopters and exploring the world and seeing those things and so I think that was a springboard. but
3: Yeah, and also the achievement mm-hmm. of having um, actually conquered something that it was a dream for a long time for both of us. Mm-hmm. And it came just as a, a normal flight that was being trained by Misha, and we discovered that we both had that dream and wanted to do someday. And we said, why we don't do it the right way? Let's do it right now. Mm-hmm. Meaning planning for it, preparing for it. <laughs> so it was a natural thing that we had been nurturing for a long time of achieving a personal accomplishment that we've been doing for a long time. And then we want to put a purpose on this dream. So we uh, associated entrepreneurship and healthy living into the whole project.
2: So Ruben and Mesha, you are both Christian businessmen, entrepreneurs, and you love flying. Mm -hmm. So tell us where this passion for flying originated for both of you.
0: Mm. Yeah, both of us when we were pretty young. Um, when I was 16 years old, my mom gave me a 10, well it was a 12 minute flight in a helicopter. And that was all it took to spark the interest. And from that moment on, it was like, I have to do this for my, my career. I have to do this for a living. I, I want to be in the air. I want to fly helicopters. And so it was just this, you know, this passion that snowballed into figuring out a way to
3: actually make it happen. So, yeah. And I was uh, probably the same age, actually, uh, probably younger. I was living in Uruguay. My parents were missionaries there. And I had this crazy, um, well, like, I think uh, immature idea that I could fly from Uruguay mm-hmm. to South Africa on a little kit plane that I saw. There was a helicopter on a kit uh, plane magazine that I was buying. And I dreamed about it. Like, one day I'm gonna fly to South Africa. Mm-hmm. And it's gonna be at night. <laughs> <laughs> so very, it's very, very adventurous. <laughs> more adventurous even. <laughs> and I always had a passion about geography. Uh, just going around the world and being in different places uh, very quickly, changing cultures and changing countries. So that just the, the freedom that it gives, just flying like a like a bird, it was just Inspired my imagination of doing all these things.
1: So for both of you, it was a dream that started when you were young, mm-hmm. and you just followed that. And it was it was more of a dream when you were younger, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and for you, at the age of sixteen, Misha. Yeah. But then from there, you just you just took off with it. You, you started a business.
0: Yeah, I mean, I always had sort of the entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial spirit. Um, and so I figured out a way, you know, I'm, a, I'm an Adventist. And so I figured out a way that I wasn't going to have to fly on Saturdays, which is a really hard thing to do. And, uh, you know, a lot of people said it would, I could never do it and it would never happen. I'd never be a commercial helicopter pilot if I didn't fly on Saturdays. And um, so, you know, it, it takes creativity to, to make something like that happen and so I had to go a very unusual route, and um, yeah, and it's been a blessing the whole, the whole way. Challenging, incredibly challenging, but you know, without challenge, I think you don't, uh, you don't get the opportunities, you don't get exposed to the opportunities that I think you could if, uh, if you didn't put yourself in that situation. I think we found that with the, the world trip as well.
1: So when we talk about this world trip, you're going around the world in a helicopter, and so I don't think people realize how involved that is and the planning that goes into that. So talk to us about the planning, about the risks, what you anticipated. Yeah,
0: well, I mean, uh, before we went, um, 18 other people had gone around the world or other 18 other helicopters had gone around the world. That's um, very few. Yeah, it's very few. And uh, so planning is a, a significant part of it. You know, it took us two years from the time that, I, I still remember as Ruben was talking about earlier, When we first had that discussion in the helicopter while Ruben was getting lessons, I I asked him the next day, I said, so were you actually serious about this world trip? Like, I'll do it, but are you actually serious about it? And uh, because, you know, you can say things and not not be fully meaning it. And and I found out very quickly that he he fully meant it. And so I was like, well, we better start planning this because it's going to be a a big thing. We we took two years to plan it. And I think we probably could have used more.
3: More. Yeah. It was a short planning. (laughs) Two years was short.
1: See, I think most people in their minds, they think, oh, it's just like getting on a commercial airliner. Buy a ticket, go around the world. This is not like that at all.
3: There's a lot of uh, details about logistics uh, from fuel, obviously accommodation, uh, weather, uh, gotta be flexible. Uh, If you change plans, what happens? Uh, Authorizations throughout a lot of airspace in the world. Uh, We had a specialized company to get our, our permits and this is a company that only does adventure flights around the world and other things, uh, not only around the world, but also uh, that has uh, some type of very special situation of aircraft. So we um, engaged them and they helped us. We learned a lot from the previous person that did the same route and we wanted to beat his record. Mm -hmm. Uh, And this is, as Misha said, a very small group of people, uh, and they have the same vision, the same passion, and we help each other, right? and uh, we already have uh, given another advice so other people wanted to do it and uh, the first advice that we give is be very very serious what you get into because it's not really something you have to take it lightly because there's a lot of weight on uh, taking that responsibility of taking risks for the reward and i think that the, the biggest uh, uh, the biggest thing about this trip is that the reward is huge but the risk was pretty high
2: So, Ruben, you just mentioned that there was a lot of risk involved in this world trip. Did you face any close calls while you were flying around the world? Well, more than a couple, (laughs) Um, and I think
3: that probably would be a better setting to be near the helicopter to tell you a couple of them. So let's go down there and talk about that.
0: So we had a couple of close calls on our trip. Uh, Ruben, I don't know if you want to talk about the first one. I'll talk about the second one. Uh, yours involved wire. The interesting thing about our close calls were they affected us each differently. And, and go ahead with yours first.
3: Yeah, you know, when you go on a trip like this, I remember, Misha, that we thought everything is going to be smooth. Yeah. Because we're going to have an under control schedule. Not going to take any risks, right? Yeah. And I remember the first one that was kind of surprise after it happened was because it was like the fourth, fifth day,
0: right? It was just the beginning of the trip. The beginning yeah. of the
3: trip. And we uh, went a long
0: ways, but it was the beginning of the trip. Exactly,
3: so we're arriving at Capulco and very, very excited because the, the, the place is beautiful. Yes. Going to the coast, the weather is impeccable. Yep. And I remember that you and I, and you were just talking about these amazing hotels. bays and hotels all, yeah. all over the place, right? <laughs> and we were so excited. Yep. And I know that I, I remember that I was talking Spanish with the tower. Mm-hmm. nothing I think that was a mistake. That was. Right? Yeah, yeah. And because he was more comfortable with Spanish and just going away with the little uh, directions there. And he says something that I understood going through a certain bay. yeah So we go through that certain bay. And I know that you and I felt a little bit uncomfortable about that. Yeah, because
0: yeah. backing up just a, a second, about 15 minutes earlier, he had said that there's a restricted area coming up ahead mm-hmm. and you're not allowed below 500 feet. Yeah. and now he's telling us descend below 500 feet and I'm questioning you and you're saying, no, 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 he's saying descend below 500
3: feet and you confirmed it with him. I think he, I believe he did a mistake. Yes. But then we go at 500 feet Yeah. and very happy looking yeah. at right side, left side. And all of a sudden, I just see, I was on the-, the You were on the control, control. Right? You were flying, yeah. And I literally see a wire in front of me, right? Like a wire. Right? But a cable, like- It's a big cable. A cable. It's a It's a big- Cart zip line, I yes, think, right? Yes. That it's in Acapulco. I think it's well known. Yeah. And uh, you can check it out. And I see this cable in front of me. My reaction, I believe, was a divine moment that I had this reaction that I was not prepared for. I immediately, in this helicopter, you can't push, right? You can't push over yeah. because it has that limitation of uh, low G's. But I put the collective down, put the second down. Immediately, like bam! Like we went. I below was the I
0: was actually filming with my phone at the time, and I dropped my phone. You see yes, it you after, I dropped my and phone. You got very and scared. I, and I went and grabbed the controls. Like, what are you doing? I, I yeah. thought. He, I thought Misha thought of me
3: going crazy. I, I, I didn't know what was going on. Yeah, something was going on because it, what were you? What's happening? Yeah. And that was a split of a second. We went literally below the cable. Yeah. And both of us look at each other. And said, what? It's just. <laughs> <laughs> what happened? Yeah. And after that, we had to we had calm deep, down, debrief, decompress. Yeah. We landed, I think it was five or 10 minutes later, yeah. in a very, at uh, the first spot where media was there waiting yeah. for us. And <laughs> we had to jump right into an it. And our faces were not prepared for that. I remember that. No. Because we were landing, we were still thinking that moment it was a split second, yeah. almost like it.
0: Yeah. And I recovered from that one. I mean, it was it was incredibly scary, but I recovered from that one a little faster because I wasn't flying. Mm-hmm. I, I, was the, I wasn't the one making the, those control inputs. Um, but I think you held on to that one for a long time. Weeks. Several days. I think weeks. I think weeks. Two weeks. You kept bringing it up. I can't believe that and, How did it happen? and so forth. Yeah. Yeah. So I think we each experienced our stories a little bit differently. Um, I remember, you know, we were in Japan, leaving Japan, hopping over the ocean over to Russia. It was a fairly large water hop. And this was late in the trip. This was getting down to the last couple weeks. And uh, I remember, you know, it was one of those days you wake up, you look outside and it's blue sky, it's beautiful. But we looked at the weather very carefully and there was an overcast layer that was sitting on the ocean kind of between where we were and where we wanted to go. And we were trying to make the right call. Do we go over? Do we go under? How do we work this? You know, the, the ceiling of the base of those clouds seemed very reasonable, very safe. Um, so we, we set out on the journey, and, uh, and that could have been the fateful day for us, it was, it was incredibly um, dangerous. You know, I've been flying for a long time, um, 8,000 hours, I've instructed hundreds of students, and through my whole career, you know, I've drilled into every student that if you, uh, when we're flying visual flight rules, which is, you know, what this helicopter is rated for, meaning you have to see visually outside, either terrain or, or land or water or whatever, You know, when you're flying under those conditions, if you fly into cloud accidentally, call it IIMC, so inadvertent flying into IMC, you lose all your reference, you lose all orientation, and within, typically, the average is 72 seconds, the helicopter's completely out of control, and you end up crashing in the the ground, or in in this case, the water. And so, you know, we were well over the ocean, two hours out, too far to turn around and come back at this stage. The weather was deteriorating on us slowly. And so it kind of, it lured us in, kind of like the frog you know, boiling in water, right? And so it lured us in to a point where we couldn't turn around. We were so low to the water that we we had to make a choice that the clouds were basically right above our rotors. We had to make a choice of what we were gonna do. And I remember that moment because for me, Flying into the cloud was not an option. No, no. It was absolutely, we have to turn around, something has to, we have to land on the water, pop our floats, and, and you, you made this call, this momentary call that saved our lives. And it was, we have to climb, we have to go into the clouds. Mm-hmm. And, and it was this quick realization. That's the only way we're going to
2: live. Yeah. Right.
0: We were so tight, so it tight, was, was literally so tight. almost. We were losing reference. There. We we almost couldn't see the water anymore. And so it was this this momentary decision. I was flying at that point, and I, I looked up, you know, onto the instruments, started climbing, and and, and I remember we just went into survival mode. Mm-hmm. And we were both talking constantly. Okay, watch this, watch this. You know, a little higher. Watch your altitude. Watch your turn there. And and I flew for a few minutes. It was maybe five minutes or something like that. Then you took over, and I kind of went. Into instructing mode and started talking you through it, and we kind of both worked our way through it. After about 15 minutes in the clouds, we we finally broke out, and and we were back into visibility. I remember that moment when we broke out. I think we both started crying. I think so. yeah. there, was, there was definitely it was, there was too strong too, of an emotion. It was too strong of an emotion, and that one stuck with me. Um, I think again, harder than it stuck with you. Mm-hmm. It was it was so impactful for both of us. How come but we were in that situation? That was your problem. How, my problem was how did I possibly let us get into that situation? And and I remember having the the the, the thought. This is how the whole trip ends. You know, they're going to read about us in the oh, newspaper yeah. saying, yeah, guys just about made it around the world and they crashed as they were arriving in Russia.
3: Just one thing, Misha, you know, yeah. that when I was flying that moment, you just described, yeah. you know, everything comes to your mind, your family, your kids, your wife. And I was thinking, this is it. Yeah, we're done. And uh, it was so intense because I was seeing death at any second. Yeah. But yes, we were blessed because obviously after that, we saw blue skies and hmm. just start crying on Yeah, unhappiness. Yeah, exactly. I think there was definitely angels guiding the
0: helicopter, keeping it stable um, so that we could make it out of there. It was quite the journey.
3: What a moment.
1: You flew over some beautiful places in the world. Some tropical beaches, uh, South America, Malaysia, Philippines. You also flew over some very cold places like the frozen tundra of Canada, of Greenland, Russia, and desert. In the Middle East. So of all those areas that you flew over, um, which areas did you like the most? Did you enjoy the most?
0: Well it's funny you know because people ask that question and you right away go to kind of the the typical ones you know the places with the beautiful beaches and kind of the more exotic type areas but for me it was more it was kind of two different things. It was first of all the people that you encountered and, and the experience that you had with those people And then it was also the places that were the most unique or different than what we have around here. You get used to your own surroundings. So when you're in a completely separate, different type of place, that's very unique. So for me, you know, it was places like uh, Greenland, where it was just, it was very raw, very pristine, very beautiful, but very, very different than what we have here. Lots of ice and icebergs and things like that. So that was really, really incredible. Um, And you know, in places like Far East Russia, where there's you know, there's not much out there, it's it's incredible kind of scenery, but the people that you encounter and the culture and, and kind of getting to know those people and things like that, um, I think that's, you know, a really big one as well. So yeah, lots of, lots of memories in different places, but those are a couple that stand out.
3: Yeah. Uh, I have similar places as Misha, mm-hmm. but also some others to add, I really like Greenland was amazing because it's so different. Um, it is also, I like places that don't have a lot of people. We just see nature, and it looks like nobody has been there before. Which is not realistic, because somebody has been there before for sure, that place. But we think that it's not possible that anybody was here before. And I remember some scenes in Greenland, yeah. uh, some uh, places of a very uh, tight gorges, and, and with uh, waterfalls and with glaciers and all that. Uh, but also, uh, the extreme on the other side was Saudi Arabia. For me, Saudi Arabia, especially going from uh, uh, Egypt to Saudi Arabia crossing, and then this desert uh, that has some uh, mountain formations. And again, you look at it, how is it possible somebody will survive here? And for me, it was just shocking to see such a long stretch of land that nobody's there. Nobody lives there. Yeah. We did nine hours, I think it was in Saudi Arabia, mm-hmm. and now and then we saw some nomad uh, and camps yeah. but that was it and for us was like little uh, lighthouses of guiding us through the trip yeah. so those moments uh, the, the ones that stick forever I believe And also Colombia, uh, Myanmar, Myanmar, Myanmar was so extremely lush. dense and lush uh, forest uh, that uh, again it's, it's very organized
0: very pristine and
3: then organized but at the same time because when we see civilization and urban gatherings, uh, you would see a very simple and uh, um, even poor houses, but extremely clean, organized, everything in its own place. And not only one house; every single house was that that way. And seeing that's the benefit of, of traveling from the air at a helicopter at low altitude from the from the ground, because you see things that you don't see in an airline. Yeah, yeah that's a, a big big uh, memories that I have from these uh, little unique places.
2: And then, um, Mission Reuben, Ruben, you relied on something called the power of nice. Mm-hmm. So can you tell us what you mean by the power of nice? Yeah,
3: I remember that when we coined that term, mm-hmm. it was kind of natural after midterm or after two thirds of the trip. It was in Pakistan, I think that we, first talked about it, but we um, had been using it at that time for a long uh, time, probably already for 30-40 days of the trip. And it is so special when you make everybody special. I think that's the key. Uh, We 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 wanted to make sure that independently of the rank, the position, the responsibility um, of that person that we're going to meet, that we treat them as a unique human being. And we know that people like, first of all, to be called by their own name. So we will always la- ask when we get someplace, what's your name? That was the first uh, thing we did, right? Yes. So what's your name? My name is Ruben. He said, my name is Misha. What's your name? And he would say, Mohammed. <laughs> and from that point on, we just tell him, hey, Muhammad, Muhammad, Muhammad. People like to hear their own name. And then a big smile on the face. Yeah, body language. Uh, is body language, yeah. making them feel comfortable. Uh, automatically, uh, they don't feel threatened because they see that you are just talking with them in a human-to-human level. Uh, some countries have a social, uh, let's say, position that you're the captain, and they come into a position. We're captains with a small <laughs> ship, but uh, they come to you and say, "Oh, captain, captain, right?" And we left it behind. No, oh, you know, it's just Mohammed, Ruben, right? Mm-hmm. So we make them feel comfortable, and that thing, that that little detail. Opens so many doors. So around. many doors, yeah, and, and it disarms people too. You know, we had a lot of
0: hostile places that we went to as well, or they at least pe- appeared hostile uh, when we first got there. And you know, you, you go out with that body language, you jump out of the helicopter with a big smile on your face, and you go and try and shake their hand or whatever you can do to, to greet them and make and, a party, and, and, uh-huh. and you really make a party of you know the the interaction, the first interaction, and you're meeting people that are holding machine guns and straight faces, and you know they're the the police of whatever and and, uh, and and we notice immediately we would disarm them, and all of a sudden you know they'd get a smile and we'd start talking and we got favors. It it's amazing how it opens up doors and you get things that normally if you you know you just got out and okay here's my paperwork what's next you know. Uh, nothing will happen. Nothing <laughs> will happen. you're gonna you're gonna um, you're gonna uh, basically fight a lot through every step that you have to go through. And we found that you know doors would open up for us. just simple examples like when we arrived in Mexico, um, same thing, you know, uh, people with machine guns and whatever. Right away, we had these amazing conversations, really struck up a, a friendship. And, uh, you know, when when the gentlemen were asking, okay, should we search their helicopter now, they said, no, don't worry about it. Why don't you just open the door there? Yeah. Okay. Everything's good. All right. You guys are good. You're ready to go. And, you know, we would have never gotten that kind of treatment without creating that relationship. And that was already after doing a little bit of paperwork with them and so forth. But, um, you know, the stories just go on and on about how the power of nice um, opened doors for us throughout the entire trip. I mean, Um, We could go on for for hours on it, but there's lots of good examples. But I want to
3: just add that in the beginning, it was something spontaneous that we had it naturally. We knew that this will work. But then after we became, I think we went a little bit even better and better because we planned it. Because now we're going to land. What are we going to do special for these guys? (laughs) Let's do a little party here. We get out. Okay, Ruben, you get out. I do this, I do that. And let's dance around the helicopter and... (laughs) It's gonna impact the person, what's going on, right? So if you have, you have a boring job of just refueling, all of a sudden you have something special and you go back home and say, oh, these guys, crazy guys, they just jump out of the helicopter and just start dancing. And so we wanted to make it a special event. I think that was the case, that we wanted to make a special event that they will remember and that opened doors.
0: Yeah, we had an interesting time in Saudi Arabia. We had been told by the previous person that had done the trip, same trip as us, that you have to plan for multiple days in Saudi Arabia, each fuel stop is going to take you minimum an hour and a half um, just because of all the red tape that you have to go through and so forth. And so we thought, okay, we can do this in one day. Let's see how quickly we can make these fuel stops. And so we use the power of NICE to the extreme level um, and, and we timed each fuel stop. And and they were between 11 and 12 minutes on each fuel stop. Wow. We did the and,
3: record refueling and, in Saudi Arabia. Absolutely.
0: <laughs> and it was just unbelievable, you know, the how it can open doors for you. One of the biggest examples that we don't want to go into all the details right now because it's just, it's a very long story, but, um, you know, through a bellboy in Dubai at a hotel, we were able to obtain authorizations that we didn't think we were going to get to get into Pakistan. And, you know, through his connection that he met somebody and, and the relationship that Ruben had formed with him in previous trips, just, you know, that power of nice, you know, he had already that connection, that relationship. He did a favor of of a a dignitary that was there at that time he opened the door for us to get the permit that we needed to get into that country without that person we would have never gone into Pakistan meaning we would have never been able to accomplish the the full mission of the trip you know we the plan for this trip was to go you know around the world but to touch two opposite points of the earth two antipodes right and uh, so the first one was in Neva, Colombia the second one was in Pelabang, Indonesia and the only way for us to get to Indonesia was to go through Pakistan and India and so forth and so without the opening the doors of that one bellboy, we would have never been able to accomplish that trip and break the world record and and accomplish the mission that we had set out to do. You know, so it's amazing what that power of nice can do.
1: Oh, I'm so sorry. We've come to a very crucial spot in our story and I, we're going to have to call it time out. We've come to the end of our time together. But I wonder as we close this week, if uh, Misha, you can close with a word of prayer for us.
0: Sure. Dear Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for this opportunity to just come together and uh, remember a few of these experiences, these incredible moments um, in our lives, and um, where you intervened for us, Lord, and you were there in a a very tangible and a very crucial way for us. And I just pray that you continue to go through uh, every part of our lives with us. Take care of us, Lord, watch over us, and I just pray that you bless each person that uh, is viewing this right now, for them to be able to have a true experience with you as well. In your name we pray,
1: amen. amen. Amen, it really was an experience and we look forward to continuing the story next week. So hope you can join us to continue telling your story.
0: Okay, good.
2: Okay. Friends, if you are inspired by Ruben and Mish's adventure, then you will want to get our free offer today.
1: The information for how to get our free offer is on the screen right now. The book is entitled The Epic Dream, a round-the-world helicopter adventure of risk, reward and the power of nice. To request today's offer, just log on to www.itiswrittencanada.ca,
3: that's www.itiswrittencanada.ca. If you prefer, you may call toll-free at 1-888-CALL-IIW, that's 1-888-CALL-IIW. Call anytime. Lines are open 24 hours daily. That's one call iiw Or if you wish, you may write to us at It Is Written, Box 2010, Oshawa, Ontario, L1H 7V4. And thank you for your prayer requests and your generous financial support. That's It Is Written, Box 2010, Oshawa, Ontario, L1H 7V4.
2: Before you go, we would also like to invite you to follow us on Instagram and Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel and also listen to our podcasts. And if you go to our website, you can see our latest programs, including our cooking demonstrations, our short spiritual messages entitled Daily Living and our exercise workouts called Experiencing Life.
1: Friends, we want you to experience the truth that is found in the words of Jesus when he said, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God.
0: All right, you guys, we are 24 minutes away from liftoff. Unbelievable, guys, this is the big moment. We're, uh, we're officially starting, Reuben. Country we live in, you guys. Hard to believe we are where we are right now. Northern Territories, kind of it. This is amazing.
1: My friend, we're
0: back! <laughs> oh my goodness, my friend, we're here. I can't believe it. Thank you for
2: listening today. If you would like to watch a video of this podcast, please visit IIW.ca or you can go to our IIW Canada YouTube channel
3: and click on the videos tab. Once again, thank you so much for listening.